the global warming potential, so the, the impact to the climate of the refrigerants that are used to power a standard air conditioning or refrigeration system are at minimum thousands of times higher global warming potential than carbon dioxide uh, when it fails, when it leaks. This is not constant, right? This occurs only when there's a, a damage or a break in the system, but, but it's thousands of times more, more detrimental on a, on a volumetric basis. Now, we've covered a few different approaches to addressing the climate crisis here, minimizing plastics and waste, encouraging better behavior, and there's no one magic bullet to this existential problem. Solving the climate crisis is going to take many different solutions for hundreds of challenges. Now, we take a look at what role material science will play in solving the climate crisis, spoiler, making those ACs run more efficiently and avoiding critical failures that leak harmful refrigerants. This week on Big Feet, why your air conditioner sucks and what it's going to take to improve this 100-year-old technology. To help me out with that, Liam Berryman. First off, I mean, thank you so much for coming on to the show. So there's a lot of different ways that material science is going to play in the climate crisis, air conditioning just being one of the ones that you're working on. Before we dive into that, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the company that you're building? Sure. Uh, happy to. First of all, you know, very pleased to be on the show. I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, so my name is Liam Berryman. Uh, by background, I'm a, a chemical engineer, but for the past approximately four years, actually close to five at this point, uh, I've been building the company Nalumbo. Uh, Nalumbo is a materials company. We focus on bringing the world's first low-cost, highly scalable, and environmentally compliant platform for applying nanostructure to surfaces to a variety of different products, many of which you use in your daily life. So our first product line is in the cooling industry for air conditioning and refrigeration equipment where we're using this nanostructure to solve problems like frost and ice in low temperature systems, corrosion in outdoor systems, and water accumulation and mold for your standard air conditioner. Mm -hmm. And what this does is it increases energy efficiency and uh, increases the longevity of how long this equipment can last in the field. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the new product lines we're working on is on more flexible substrates like nylon, which is something that you should be hearing a little bit more about later this year. But the basics of us as a company is we develop the materials and we bring in strategic partners that bring manufacturing and distribution channels for existing products. We work together to develop a product that integrates in nanostructure typically for the very first time. So we're almost always a first mover in these product lines that we're entering. And then we go to market with those particular partners. Hmm. So diving back into the field of materials engineering... What would you say is the importance of material engineering in the climate crisis? So looking at the role you're playing at Nulumbo, how would you describe the approach you're taking to attack climate change? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, so if you think about it, it, there's two big ways that materials uh, can contribute to or change the products that are around us. The one is by enabling those products to do something they can't currently do, so bring, bringing in a new capability or a higher level of performance that currently exists. Mm -hmm. And then the second reason is that it, it simply is what the product itself is made out of. So it's after the product is, is no longer being used, it's what still exists in our environment, whether it's recycled or uh, put into landfill or you know, dissolved or or 
gasified or, or whatever other means we use to, to get rid of it, the materials are what the product is. Like that's what it's made out of at the end mm-hmm. of the day. And so there's a, a really cool opportunity where if you get the material science right and you really make something where the, the chemistry itself, the, the, what it is, the composition of it is not detrimental to the environment. It you know, easily dissolves or it's easily recycled or it's you know, something that is very minimal in terms of impact to landfill. It's something that you know, unlike, for example, a lot of fluorinated chemistries, they wear off into the environment and start becoming bioaccumulatory. So they become toxic to plants and animals. You can create chemistries that don't do things like that and also improve the performance or bring a new capability to a product because it's something that, that hasn't been possible before, then you get you kind of get two, two for one uh, is how I see it. Gotcha. So I see that that is a big part of our role looking at the materials of things is it's asking, you know, what's, what is, what's not possible today that we think we can do? And can we do it with materials that at the end of the day are going to be at least neutral, if not, you know, very positive on a net basis to what's left behind when this product is discarded or no longer used. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it's changing products. So they last longer and are actually recyclable and maybe made out of more sustainable materials. Mm -hmm. And I know more and more companies are moving towards more sustainable products with those types of qualities. And you're part of helping companies actually achieve that, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big part of our goal at Nalembo is every product that we work on, we're not only increasing the economic value of that product, by bringing it a, a new capability it hasn't had before or a threshold of performance that it just simply hasn't seen before. Uh, we're also in some manner increasing the environmental sustainability of that product. And that's through both indirect and direct means and direct means. Uh, directly, we actually contribute to a reduction, again, in, in the case of our first product line, a reduction in the amount of uh, uh, carbon dioxide equivalent emissions that occur through uh preventing acute failure of heat exchangers in cooling devices, which cause very harmful um, uh, refrigerants to leak into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So that's one direct way we can contribute to reducing the amount of carbon equivalent emissions. Mm -hmm. And then an indirect method, but still very important, is simply making the devices we use much more energy efficient, uh, allows us to, in the consumption and in the the generation of cool or in uh, cooling down air uh, or other fluids, um, use less energy in that process. So for the equivalent amount of cooling, using less energy, you're indirect, indirectly um, going back to where that energy was produced, reducing the amount of emissions that are generated. Yeah. Um, so I guess just going, I know a lot of your guys' work has been on AC sort of HVAC um, systems, um, which depending on how we, where we are, in, uh, where you live for climate change, you might be using a lot of. I know I, I lived in LA uh, all last year and I was using my AC a lot. And so I have an AC. I mean, what's wrong with it? It's a good question. In basic form, there's not something that's wrong with the system per se, right? It it fills the function that you need as a consumer. It, Mm. it takes air from the outside and it cools it down to a certain temperature set point so that you can experience a more comfortable indoor climate. Mm. I mean, that's the basic function of an air conditioner and then a refrigerator or freezer system is effectively the same product, the same system that just goes to a much lower set point. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge, though, is that, and this is what's what's pretty unknown to the to the you know to most consumers, is that as you're operating these systems, 
the components that, that drive that operation um, during the process of cooling air actually have a lot of different surface challenges that occur, uh, similar to things that I listed earlier. So things like the accumulation of water. This is what happens when you cool down very humid air. You take water vapor and it condenses into liquid water. Very similar to what happens on the outside of a drinking glass of water that's gotten too cold. Mm -hmm. um, that causes problems for your system. It decreases its energy efficiency. It causes um, the buildup of mold and other contaminants, which are further, further detrimental to the system. And then over time, you also have the deposition of contaminants in the system on these components that are operating to, to cool air which further decreases efficiency and leads to these, these problems like leaks that cause catastrophic failure of the system and ultimately a huge amount of, of very high global warming potential refrigerant being leaked into the atmosphere. And so, you know, all of that is, is not something that's, that's obviously advertised by the companies that are producing these systems, but they're very real problems. Hmm. And the big challenge is that the, the air conditioning system itself is actually a, a pretty darn mature technology, right? It's been around for 100 plus years. And so the, the challenge is in a mature industry that's very cost competitive, you have to find ways to increase performance or increase energy efficiency or longevity of a system at a very favorable cost point. We think of this as the, the performance versus cost trade-off. And so it's actually pretty difficult to do that with a lot of the existing mechanical design differences that you can go after. So what we see our approach as is by bringing a, a material, a nanostructured coating, if you will, to certain components in the system, mm -hmm. we're using low-cost chemical inputs to create you know, ultimately a, a difference in energy efficiency for the system. So we, so we view our performance versus cost trade-off in this particular product application as highly favorable. Uh, and that's that's one of the advantages that we bring. Probably not a very efficient one. Yeah. That harmful? Yeah. Like what what so, are we looking at? Yeah, without without going without going into to the yeah, chemistry details because it it you know, it, that would that'd be a longer conversation. Mm -hmm. The the basics to understand are that the the global warming potential, so the the impact to the climate um of the refrigerants that are used to power a standard air conditioning or refrigeration system are at minimum thousands of times higher global warming potential than carbon dioxide. Whoa. Now, there's much more carbon dioxide produced than on a, on a volumetric basis and, and, and emitted into the atmosphere per year mm. than the refrigerants that exist in these systems, but it's a non-negligible number. Yeah. So every every you know unit, if you just think about you know equivalent amounts of carbon dioxide mm -hmm. versus the stuff that's in your air conditioner, if you just emit one unit of each of those at the same time, you're actually doing thousands of times more impact from the stuff that's coming out of your air conditioner uh, when it fails, when it leaks. This is not constant, right? Mm -hmm. This occurs only when there's a, a damage or a break in the system. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but but it's thousands of times more more detrimental on a on a volumetric basis. Gotcha, and, and it seems like it's a possibly pretty significant amount, 
And I don't know about you, but I, I was never up on the roof of my apartment to see what the AC was looking like and if it was in the right shape. I, I don't know about the um, management if they were actually taking a peek on that. But the, I, are a lot of these being run with some sort of damage in there that are releasing these chemicals where it, like it is a solid problem? So it, it's actually uh, designed into a standard air conditioner that a, a given pretty significant quantity of the refrigerants will leak out year after year. It's designed into it. Yeah, it's part of the design. It's not, it's not, it's not supposed to happen, right? The idea is it for it to not happen. Uh But the assumption is that just Mm -hmm. due to field conditions, just due to, you know, machines aren't perfect, basically, there will be some leakage of refrigerant. So a standard air conditioner, even after it's lost a pretty big amount of the refrigerant that was put into it initially, when the system was first created, um, uh, it, it can still operate with a much lower amount of refrigerant. It's not as efficient, but it can still operate. Okay, so they put um, more than they but, need into so, it, knowing some of it's going to leak yeah. out probably. Okay. Correct. And then like another factor is sometimes it's not even the system itself that it isn't working well. It's just that when routine maintenance is done, um, you know, like a contractor or, or someone that's providing mechanical services, uh, sometimes there will be a, a, you know, a leak of refrigerant out that they don't replace when they are just, they are just adjusting the system. Hmm. Um, and that's, not necessarily anybody's fault. That's just that's just the kind of the way these systems work. Gotcha. Um, so that that's that's already there. If you've lost all of the refrigerant system, you do you have a catastrophic failure because you you can't operate um, a cooling system without that refrigerant leak. Uh, okay. It's just simply not possible. So your system actually shuts off, and that's when someone will pick up. You know, a consumer will pick up the phone and and call. Um, you know, their service company or their hmm. or their their maintenance contract company. Um, and say, you know, my air conditioner is not working. But most don't have knowledge that that's because of this particular problem. It's it's to them, you know, it's just not providing the service that they they want to see from your a standard air conditioner. Wow. But the, the the question, you know, the answer to your question is that this is the direction that that things are moving. Um, I think we need them to move this direction more quickly. Uh, but like, you know, there there was the Mo- Montreal Protocol mm-hmm. and then the Kigali Amendment to the Montreal Protocol which are agreements that, you know, many countries and, and the air conditioning industry actually um, have, have signed on to, to going forward with, which account for designing new cooling systems that are able to run on refrigerants that are less environmentally detrimental than what the current state of the market is, state of the art is. Even right um, now. Those redesigns, yes, even right now. So, so there's basically this roadmap in the industry of, you know, by 2023, people need to be selling systems that are using a different refrigerant than what's sold today, which means you need to design your system differently because it's there's different thermodynamics, there's different um, hmm. there's different mechanics basically that need to go into uh, how these cooling systems are designed and operated if the the working fluid, the refrigerant, is a different chemistry. Gotcha. So we're moving in the right direction. But it's, you know, that, that's just for new sales. That's not going to account for the existing is, installed base of mm. cooling devices. Um, so you're, you're not going to see like an instant switch from a, an old refrigerant to a newer refrigerant. And, and you know, this will happen over time, mm. um, but it, it's not a cure-all. Um, and not saying that, that there is anything that can be a cure-all, um, but we, we definitely need to be moving in the direction of better refrigerants and then just devices that use less energy as they operate uh, as quickly as possible because cooling is is one of the runaway issues that we see uh, with the climate challenge. It's already a huge fraction of use. 
it's continuing to grow based mm -hmm. on demand from consumers and businesses. And as the planet gets warmer in different environments, cooling becomes the thing you need in order to continue making people and businesses operate. Hmm. So it's a, it's, it could be an exponential problem. That's the fear that a lot of, of people have. Gotcha. So you guys are trying to, I guess, mitigate that exponential problem by trying to eliminate it as a problem, it sounds like, right? By making it so that these don't break down and don't release uh, these refrigerants into the air to begin with, right? Yeah, th that's that's correct. And we are we are one solution amongst, you know, a number of different approaches. Mm -hmm. And it, it ultimately to really solve the cooling piece of the, the overall climate challenge is how I think of it. Um, there will be multiple different solutions that will have to actually be implemented and work together. So mm -hmm. there really isn't a single cure all. What we're doing at Nalumbo has a huge impact and is great for the industry because it's a solid performance versus cost trade off. Mm -hmm. which is hard to find elsewhere. Uh, but we are, you know, by no means the only solution or the only thing you should be implementing in a cooling system in order for us all to move towards a, you know, more sustainable future. Gotcha. And there's less damaging coolant for newer heat pumps. So like purchasing a new heat pump or something that's new on the market right now uh, would theoretically be better at least than an older one, right? Yep, that is right. That is right, but there is still nobody on the market today, uh, except for our company. Uh, so this is a little bit of the of our shameless plug for the day. <laughs> There's nobody on the market today that is offering a solution to um, the acute failure for heat pumps that I was talking about before, where you have corrosion leading to a a significant leak, which means all the refrigerant escapes your system and your system shuts down. <laughs> so that's actually something I know is being discussed uh within california right now is how can that problem be solved yeah no we, it shouldn't be acceptable that, that that refrigerant is able to leak out into the air and damage the environment exactly right so it's like it's like you're gonna if you transition from existing means to using heat pumps you're gonna reduce the amount of energy that's being used because heat pumps are more efficient but if you then leak all that refrigerant into the atmosphere because this system you know, compared to a hot water heater or other other method for your house, mm -hmm. um, because this system, you know, leaks refrigerant in the atmosphere, you're going to basically lose all the carbon dioxide on a, on a net basis. You're not going to actually gain anything in terms of uh, defeating emissions. Which is so why you guys got to find a way to solve that, that problem. And that, that's yeah, solution. that's that's one of the reasons. Exactly. That's yeah. right. Because nobody has got a really good way of of doing that today. Wow, that's that's a lot of. <laughs> Yeah, refrigerant seems pretty uh, pretty toxic. A thousand times more than CO two. I did not I did not realize that. Is is there anything I can be doing to? I mean, like, I, mean <laughs> I mean, what can what can what can anyone at home be doing to try to solve and stem this problem? Right? Is it just making sure that there's proper maintenance on these? What can I be doing? Yeah, that's so. Proper maintenance is is certainly part of it. Um, but I would say that for most consumers uh, and also for most businesses, uh, I think that as, as there is more advanced equipment that's rolled out, initially price points are going to be higher. Um, uh, that'll, that'll almost, almost definitely be something that needs to be dealt with. And historically, the cooling market has been very price sensitive. Hmm. So it's opted for less efficient lower cost equipment yeah. uh, for upfront upfront installation. 
Um, I think we really need to have both consumers and businesses be okay with or, or figure out a way to deal with the fact that more advanced equipment that's ultimately better for the environment is simply more costly to produce upfront, hmm. um, even if it's by an incremental amount that you save over the lifetime of that equipment. So one of the things that I'm you know, really excited to see is the rise of a lot of kind of project finance uh, mechanisms mm-hmm. that are allowing people to implement, you know, more advanced or even do retrofits for more advanced, more energy efficient equipment that they can finance with a third party. So they're not putting their money up uh, up front. Uh, and then, you know, we're, we're getting more efficient equipment. The investors are getting paid back from some of that energy efficiency savings over time. And the, the consumer or the business upfront is not, you know, uh, uh, having to outlay their own their own money to do it. So it's kind of a win for everybody. Gotcha. Sort of sort of the solar of those, panel. Um, exactly. Market. That's, that's a like form it. of it. Gotcha. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. And that's that. You know, people have learned a lot from the solar from how solar has been financed, mm-hmm. and are now deploying that into other areas. So I think the more that that could be adopted, and the more that that could be scaled both up for really big cooling applications like industrial power plants yeah. and and down for really small applications like a, a residential home um, and, and maybe made applicable in all those scenarios, mm-hmm. the faster we're going to get a solution to the cooling problem. Gotcha. So, and I mean, so, so for me right now, um, the biggest impact I can have as far as making sure my AC doesn't suck is keeping an eye out for when new ones come on the market, making sure my current one stays properly maintenanced. Um, I guess just trying not to use it as much as like, unless it's necessary, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, so all, all of those things. Um, and then I'd also say to, to the extent there is legislation that comes along that supports, um, you know, at your, at your local or at your state or even at a federal level that supports financing for green energy projects or, or energy efficiency projects, uh, or even just supports mandating, you know, improved, uh, or higher efficiency equipment, even if there's no financing for it initially. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we as individual, you know, voters and consumers um, should be should be supporting that. So showing support for that can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, one example is that California is is already putting into policy transitioning to uh, basically a 100% heat pump adoption. Um, uh, and just for reference, a heat pump is basically an air conditioner you can run in both directions. So you can use it to both heat and cool your house, um, depending on whether it's the winter or the summer, um, and specifically electric heat pumps. So having these be 100% connected to the electrical grid so that all eventually all new home sales in California or all new builds uh, will be 100% electric. There'll actually be no natural gas running to those residential homes. That at least um, limits the idea being some that, of the... <laughs> Sorry, the idea being... Yeah, that. the idea being if you can, if you can generate a bulk of your your electricity uh, from you know green green production methods, wind or solar, and then pipe it directly to those homes or or put your wires directly directly to those homes. Uh, and then you've got all electrical appliances through the entire home, then you don't have to invest in the infrastructure for natural gas. and you've got a, a greener you know end to end production consumption of energy. Um, ultimately, you know, in the beginning, there's going to be a lot of those homes that are that are you know connected to the grid, which is ultimately power plants that are mm-hmm. producing that energy at first. Um, but having you know having a residential home that is 100 percent 
uh, electrical versus any natural gas or, or other um, energy methods um, it is the start to kind of pushing the market in that direction. So, so California is, um, and, and heat pumps are, are super, you know, you know, quite energy efficient hmm. um, on a relative basis to other kinds of appliances and other, other means you can use in your home. Yeah. So that's a, that's a really good step forward. And those kinds of programs are what the market needs on the, you know, the supply side, I would say, uh, are what, you know, air conditioner manufacturers, heat pump manufacturers need to see. They need to see that that demand exists for them to invest upfront in making more advanced equipment. Hmm. So the more that, you know, you can get a policy pull, um, it does actually create an impact on industries like these. So we as individuals can, can support the generation of that policy. Hmm. Nice. Okay. That's, I mean, that's, that's super informative. Good. I'm glad. Thank you so much for coming on and explaining and making air conditioning exciting. Sure thing. Thanks very much for having me on the call. I, uh, I look forward to, to being on again soon. Can't wait to have you. Big Feet is a production of The Impact and produced by me, Ian Sumner. Music is by Saru Pujari. Check out our whole publication along with our other podcasts at readtheimpact.com. We'll be back next week. 